Open your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 22. Let's take a few minutes and finish the second point on dealing with afflictions and understanding them that the Bible teaches us, and it's that afflictions are for good reasons. And uh, while I have preached a detailed and lengthy sermon on this subject once in 2002, once in 2012, called Why Bad Things Happen to Christians, and I would suggest that you listen to it. I did it last night with my wife. Um, there, there are four important categories of reasons that are good for us to remember when something bad happens in our life or someone else's life, to go through that checklist and realize all four are good. All four from the Lord. And He's infinitely wise enough to combine all four if He wants to in a life. Genesis chapter 22, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Well, there it is. Temptation coming from the Lord toward Abraham. And the temptation was, I want you to get your 16-year-old son Isaac and haul him up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. Yeah, the one that you love so much. Yeah, yeah. Your only begotten son by Sarah, I want him coming up in smoke to me. Verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Early in the morning... Abraham went to do what God said, and that is our standard, and that is our example. We have heard that we ought to be thankful for Bible examples. This is a Bible example. You have not faced a temptation like this. But Abraham showed us how to respond, and that's to get up early in the morning. Now the Bible tells us in other places why Abraham was able to do this, and it was his great faith in God that if he killed Isaac... Because he knew that God's promises already extended through Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. So when he raised the knife to kill Isaac after he had bound him and put him on the wood of an altar, he was going to kill him. Because he knew that God's promises were true. Can you remember that God's promises are true? These little speed bumps down here don't alter his promises at all. We're still going to go to heaven where all these speed bumps will be instantly forgotten. And they should be forgotten now because they're meaningless. In comparison to the blessings that we have in the gospel, the blessings that we have in Christ, and the blessings that we're going to experience in heaven. Now this temptation was to make Abraham better. And we're told the result of it in verse 12. When Abraham was about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, verse 11, Abraham! Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And amen. The second category of reasons as to why bad things come into our life are to perfect us and make us better Christians and it requires negative events, temptations, trials, and tribulations in order to accomplish that. So the first one was for God's glory. 
And the, the example from the Bible that we want to remember is what all of John 9 is about, the man born blind. Or John chapter 11, Lazarus being sick and then dying. And the Lord lingering and not immediately going to Bethany to be with Lazarus. And so he died. And the Lord intentionally lingered so he would die. So that he could get glory from that event. And we also looked at 2 Corinthians 12 where the Apostle Paul was told by the Lord, you need these infirmities, you need this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet you, because through this buffeting that other people are going to know about, I can reveal my strength by your cheerful ignoring of it. And your continued service to me as an apostle. You know, there was also a poisonous viper over there in Acts chapter 28. The Apostle Paul, they were shipwrecked on the island of Melita. They gather around a fire and they're warming their hands and this poisonous viper jumps out and latches onto Paul's hand and he shakes it off into the fire. But all the natives said, Ha ha, fate's got this murderer. You know, he's on a prisoner's ship going from Caesarea to Rome. Fate's got him and taken him out of the way. Paul shook it off and ignored it. And a few minutes later when they expected him to be dead, they're bowing down and worshiping him like he's a god. Now that's for the glory of God. He was able to preach the gospel in that place. And there were people converted because of a snake. But now, if you're warming your hands after a shipwreck, could things go from bad to worse? They did. A viper bit them. Let's just shake it off. We use the expression like water off a duck's back. And that's a good expression. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, which our brother Ed read to us in the first assembly today. 1 Peter chapter 1, for the trial of your faith. Our faith needs to be tried just like gold and silver are tried in a fire. It's called the refiner's fire. And a a refiner's fire burns away the dross and gets rid of those imperfect and base elements that are connected to the precious metal that we're looking for to have in purity. Remember, your ring, unless it's 24 karat gold, is uh, filled with junk metal or has a good amount of junk metal in it. If you've got 14 karat, we shouldn't call it 14 karat gold because a 14 karat gold means that it's only 60% gold. It's 14%, it's 40% junk. Like copper, just to make it hard. Copper is a junk metal. It's called base metal in comparison to precious metals, though looking at prices in the last 10 years, you'd say copper is almost a precious metal. But that's irrelevant. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. They were under many temptations and afflictions and adversities, and they were heavy because of it, but they were still rejoicing. Can you do both at the same time? Yes. Look at that sixth verse. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. They were cast down at times from the temptations in their lives, but they were rejoicing in Christ. And it's called the trial of your faith in verse 7, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus Christ get us ready to meet Him? Trials. This is saying that our faith, 
our faith can be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That is exciting. Our faith so strong, our praise so great, our worship so sincere that it's found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. How do we get it there? Through the refining fires of trials. And so we're tried by these events. And as we pass through them and pass, our faith becomes stronger. Because it leads to a thing called experience and patience. And experience and patience teaches hope because we're never disappointed in God. He's always faithful. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That is Romans 5, 3-5. through 5. Tribulations lead to patience. Patience leads to experience. Experience leads to hope. And hope put in God is never ashamed. And God sheds His love abroad in our hearts so that we understand the lessons and appreciate the improvement. So the second reason is a trial of our faith. To get your faith stronger, you need to go through negative events to where you can trust God, ignore the negative event, survive it. Hey, I, I was patient. I cheerfully endured that negative event. Now God's lifted it. I have experience. So when the next one comes, yes, I can do that. And we go through it again. You've got more experience. And you go through another one and you have more experience. And it's called being exercised by the sore travail that God's given to the sons of men. And so we gain in experience by enduring negative events cheerfully, which is called patience. So tribulations lead to patience. Patience leads to experience. And experience leads to hope. Oh yes, the Lord can get me through this. That's hope. Because of the experience of patiently enduring negative events in the past by the tribulations that God sent to make you better. That's Romans 5, 3-5. It deserves treatment of its own, which it will get in due time by God's grace and not right now. The third category is God sending it to chasten you to get you out of your sins and back with Him. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5-13. through 13. You know the verses well, that if you... If the Lord is chastening you, then it's proving that He loves you. For whom the Lord loveth, verse 6, He chasteneth and scourgeth. Now that's severe chastening. None of you have ever been scourged by your daddy or your mommy. I've had lots of instruments applied to my backside, but not a scourge. My father was creative. It could come out of the workshop or off a local tree or off his waist. Or my mom could get it out of the... Vanity? She, they had a variety of instruments, but this is a scourge. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And it goes on to explain that we ought to be thankful for that. It says in verse 9 that we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. If, if men, if our fathers spank us, and we reverence them for being our dads, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Come on. If we respect our dads and understand why they applied the paddle or other instrument to me when I needed it, how much more should we give glory to God and worship Him when He applies something to us? They did, and they're sinners. And it goes on to say, Verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, 
Now, of course, dads do it also for the profit of the children, but sometimes it's just to clear the air. Sometimes it's to get the rebel to shut up. You know, it's, a, it's for a variety of reasons, and it, it includes their pleasure. But God does it so much for our profit. And we should, we should understand that 10th verse. They verily, it's true, that dads chastened us after their own pleasure, but God does it for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. How does God make us holy? He sends us the Word of God in 1 Peter 1 that says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But He also chastens us to get us out of sin. Whoa, that course doesn't work. I'm going to change from living that way to get back to living this way because the Lord's chastening me over there. You know, we have a song in our hymnal about, it's it's called Afflictions, Though They Seem Severe, In Mercy Oft Are Sent. They stopped the prodigal's career and caused him to repent. And the whole song, four verses long, is about the prodigal son waking up in the pig pen in a foreign country, broke and destitute, and he's looking at the corn husks that the swine were eating, and he was starting to lust after them. And he came to himself and he said, the servants on my father's estate are eating a whole lot better than corn husks. I will arise and go to my father, and I will repent and tell him that I'm no longer worthy to be called a son, and so forth and so on. That's Luke chapter 15. But the whole story is told because it was affliction that brought him to his right mind. Prosperity does not usually bring us to our right mind. It is an affliction or adversity or infirmity. When we are blessed, we have a tendency to forget God. That's why Agur, the prophet Agur in Proverbs chapter 30, prayed for food convenient for me, lest I be rich and forget you. And so we want to be careful and appreciate God's chastening. God sends it to get us back into the way of righteousness. Remember Haggai? Consider your ways. You people are are plowing, you're planting, you're harvesting, but when you go to measure the produce off your fields, it's nothing. You, You look at the field and you say, my yield ought to be 50 measures of wheat. You get it home and you weigh it out and it's only 20 measures. Because I'm blowing against you. Consider your ways. You've put your houses ahead of my house. And so there was chastening involved in Haggai and its two chapters where the Lord said, mark your calendars. I can make a difference in your life and I will make a difference. This is the third category of why bad things happen to Christians. It's God chastening us to get it back into the way of, to get us back into the way of righteousness. The fourth category is simply the natural results of your own foolishness. The Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. The Lord doesn't have to do anything supernatural. If you want to break His rules in the book of Proverbs, you're going to get slapped around by the world and by your own life. If you don't train your children, it's going to bring the mother to shame. If you marry an odious woman, you're going to have to live with hell the rest of your life. It just goes on and on. The Lord doesn't have to intervene in those cases. The Bible just tells you you're going to suffer because you made a foolish choice. If you are a surety for a friend to a stranger, you know, someone may come and take your bed away someday because you've committed to guarantee too many contingent liabilities. 
And so the book of Proverbs is filled with these rules and laws that are as true as gravity that God has given. And so some things in your life are simply your fault. So don't whine about God. He's just establishing that there is a right way to do things, and since you did it wrong, you suffer the consequences. Therefore, you should change the way you're doing it, do it the right way, and everyone else you meet in life subsequently, you should tell them to do it the right way. There's the four reasons bad things happen to Christians. The four large categories. One, the glory of God. Two, the perfecting of your faith and of your uh, the other graces in your life as a Christian. Three, chastening because of your sins. God showing love to you to bring you back to Him. Four, they're simply the natural results of your foolishness because God is going to confirm that His Word is true spiritually and naturally. All these reasons are positive for God and for the person suffering the affliction. Do you know that as we just went through it, they're, they're positive for the Lord and they're positive for the person suffering them. God and infinite wisdom can combine them so things can happen to you that, that are involving all of them. We used Psalm 119 last Lord's Day about David, and a man after God's own heart and an afflicted man, and he knew it, but he knew that God's afflictions were sent to him in faithfulness. And that before he was afflicted, he had gone astray. But since God had afflicted him, now he was living righteously. He was thankful that the Lord in faithfulness had afflicted him. You know, there's other minor reasons that don't deserve a whole category. You know, God sometimes allows tribulation in our life and then sends comfort to us so that we're able to comfort others with the comfort by which God has comforted us. That's Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. God can't display His glory through us unless we're suffering adversity. And we've been over that from 2 Corinthians 12. Another category that, that might deserve mention as a fifth is the ordinary process of life in a sinful world with a sinful body among sinful people is always going to have consequences. So why do bad things happen to Christians? Because we were born to Adam and Eve. Because in the Garden of Eden we chose death, sin, and suffering, and sickness rather than life, health, and paradise. And so for the rest of our lives, we are decaying and dying. You know, as this congregation ages, more and more of us are going to be in the hospital, more and more of us are going to have surgical procedures, more and more of us are going to get weak, more and more of us are going to get tired, and then all of us are going to die. That's just the ordinary process of life. There's nothing special about it. No one deserves pity because of it, because we're all going through it. And so we've got to recognize that as like a fifth category, the ordinary process of life. Getting sick or having deficient organs all the way up to death is all very ordinary. It happens to every one of us. These are not acts of God. They happen often to everyone, just a little differently. Every person hearing this study is going to endure growing affliction all the way to death. It's foolish naivety and selfishness and wickedness to fret about ordinary things as if they were not ordinary things. It really messes up your mind to think that something extraordinary is happening to you when all that's happening to you is the ordinary decay of the body on your way to the grave in a new body. We're all going to get sick. We all are sick. There's things dying right now while we're talking. Which one of you has cancer growing in your brain right now and you don't know it? Who's got cancer in their liver right now and you don't know it? So? 
You're either going to go down from cancer or something else. Because we're all going to decay. And so let's not think that something terrible is happening to us. The ordinary, normal, natural process of life is happening to us. We chose it. I think we should be thankful for it. Since we chose it, I mean, we aren't really thankful for it. Other than, you know, it's far better to depart and to be with Christ than to be here in this world. You know, there are some acts of God that are statistically significant as not being normal decay, and we've had a couple of those recently. So for God's glory, if bad things happen to Christians for God's glory, then we should give Him all the glory joyfully at all times. We should worship. Since that's His goal, we should just start off right now worshiping in spite of whatever we are disappointed about in our lives. Because if that's His goal, let's give Him the purpose for it, and He will lift the adversity. Let's acknowledge His rights to our life to do whatever He chooses, and let's use all reasonable means in prayer to remove the adversity, but to submit to His will like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it's for trials of our faith, let's understand their value and appreciate them and rejoice in their purpose like the Bible tells us to. My brother, when you fall into divers' temptations, count it all joy. Most gladly, Paul said. So let's understand their value, rejoice in the purpose. Lord, we do want you to perfect us. Let's be thankful for their effect in our lives. Let's learn the lesson quickly and cheerfully endure the pain. Elihu told Job, Job, if you'd have got the lesson a little sooner, you would already be back at your table eating fatness with all of your family restored to you. You have caused the delay in the trial by the way you responded. You know, when I read that, it's, it's a pretty big piece of neon that's telling me, get the lesson early. Get the lesson early and submit to it. And what does submitting to it mean? Worship Him. Never complain. Be thankful. Because our blessings outnumber the negative events a billion to one. And that is such an understatement. Mark your calendar for me understating something. A billion to one. So for trials of our faith, let's learn the lesson quickly and cheerfully endure the pain and thank God for making us better. For chastening of our sins, let's pray for God by self-examination to reveal our faults, confess as soon as the Lord shows us any conviction, submit to reproof from others, and tell God we've learned the lesson as quickly as possible. And He'll lift it. If there's anything wrong in your life, confess it. His chastening can get all the way to the extent of Ananias and Sapphira and the church at Corinth where the church cemetery had a whole lot of new stones because they weren't keeping the Lord's Supper correctly. That's severe chastening, and it is specifically identified as chastening in 1 Corinthians 11. For the consequences of folly, obey God's Word as early and fully as possible. Be prudent in your decision-making. Beg God for mercy for your failures and stubbornness, and use all the means God has taught you for your recovery. I just want to leave this with you. Judgment is God's strange work. The mentality of Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar criticizing and picking on Job. Judgment, punishment, hurting people is God's strange work. Isaiah 28 and verse 21 teaches us that. Lamentations 3 and verse 33, the Lord does not afflict willingly. We force him. Don't ever forget that. You want to trust in a God like I'm telling you about right now? He is worthy of your trust. 
He is not a monster like maybe Bela is uh, in training gymnasts. And I'm not Bela, just, you know, forgive me. If, if you're listening to this sermon later today, forgive me. The Lord isn't a monster. It actually tells us in the Bible, Lamentations 3 and verse 33, that he doth not afflict willingly. We force his hands. You know, when natural consequences come, it was our foolishness. When we're chastened, it was our sin. When it's the perfection of our faith, it's because we don't have enough. You know, he had to turn to the apostles when the father of the lunatic came around. You know, what's wrong with your faith? Why have you no faith? Why are you faithless? And for his glory, let's give him all the glory that we can without him having to do any afflicting in our lives. Those are comforting words to end with on the graciousness of the Lord.